I have an apology and a confession this morning. My apology is that uh, I've been excited to get into our next passage in Philippians for, for a while. It's, it's a passage I'm really excited about, but I have not been able to get my head into sermon writing uh, gear. My mind has been in a million other places since coming back from, we got in three in the morning, Thursday, uh, on Zoe's birthday. So we had a power sleep and then we celebrated Zoe's birthday all day. I had a wedding that I did yesterday that consumed my mental energy. And um, meanwhile, we're meeting with Madison and going over the sun. So my mind has been all over the place. Um, So I did what I always do in that situation. I wrote about something that happened to me instead of the the passage that I was going to do. So my apology is that this isn't a a regular sermon. Uh, It's more like a testimony, I guess. So uh, sorry if that's strange or not what you expected this morning, but my confession, my confession, I believe that this is a successful church. That's not my confession. That's just leading up to the confession. I, I, I believe that we, when we are successful, that we are successful because our identity and role in the community brings glory to God. That's, that's the definition of success for any church, any body of believers. And I think that you do an excellent job at that. It's a pleasure to serve with you, to, to watch you guys um, represent Jesus well as his ambassadors in this community. Whatever successes we've had, I don't ever attribute to myself as the pastor, ever. I, I'm quick to recognize the role of two other parties in whatever success we have as a body of Christ. First is the body, you guys, and second is Christ, who is the head of everything. When we serve well for the kingdom of God, which I think is fairly often, when we as a church do well, I mentally attribute that to you all, to your attitudes, your personalities, your gifts. You are the reason that this church bears fruit and grows together, except you're not really, ultimately. Really, the glory goes to God. His spirit is responsible every time we as a community bring honor to his name. He's the one who fosters that in us. Christ, as the head of this tiny little body of believers, deserves the credit and the acclaim whenever we are obedient and successful. So all that's to say, as a leader, I rarely bask in our success, which may be hard to believe because you've all seen me at my most ego-driven, at my most desperately in need of acknowledgement and affirmation. You know that that's a part of who I am. But the truth is, I don't take credit for our church's success ever. I do, however, on the flip side of this, I do absolutely wear our failures and shortcomings. I do take that on myself. I am more than aware of them. I know that we're not perfect. None of us is perfect, period. But we as a church body are not perfect either. I'm more than aware of that. I feel responsible for that, which is natural, I suppose, as well as a little exhausting. So I don't, when we do well, I don't take credit for that. I don't want credit for that. But when we make mistakes or when I see ways we can grow, I absolutely own that. And so with that confession in mind, I want to share a little story from a couple weeks ago. I call it, and but this is the only slide I got ready for today, I call it One Sacred Day in July. Jalulai. <laughs> it's like Norwegian or something. One Sacred Day in Jaluli. Um, I'm sorry, I have to fix that. I will own my mistakes. I 
Uh, I'm willing to wear my mistakes. There, I just proved it. Um, but I call this little talk One Sacred Day in July because I think that name conveys the weightiness of the day that I'm about to talk about, but it also conveys that it was just a normal day. There was nothing tremendously spiritual about it to look at it from the outside, but as it was happening, I felt the beauty and the purpose of it in me. I knew that it was a special day as it was happening. And while I'm going to talk about three things that I did myself, I want you to know that my confession was real. I am not boasting. I don't want you to hear me say that I did a great job at anything. In fact, I want to highlight your strengths, my weaknesses, and God's goodness in all of the above. As you will hear, these are very normal things that any Christian can and should do, and I'm not special for having done them. They are not sacred because it was me, but it was sacred to me. And that's the difference. So don't hear me bragging that I did three things that were, they're not amazing. But they were, what I witnessed was amazing. To be a part of it was amazing to me. And I want to share a little bit about that. So this was, what day is today? The 21st? This was two weeks ago. Um, I wasn't here in church, even though I was still in Alberta. I started the day early. I drove to Drumheller. Uh, to see Dennis and Barb in the Passion Play. But as you know, I had also set up two other meetings that morning. I stopped in Innisfail to see Ian and Sophie first. Ian and Sophie um, have been members of this church for a long time, and they had to move to Innisfail to save some money, and um, we missed them tremendously. And then after that and before the play, I visited with a former youth kid of mine who's in the Drumheller Institute, the medium security penitentiary there. So... With those two visits and the Passion Play, it was a much more pastory day than I normally have. Now, I love long drives. I love listening to music and podcasts that uh, fuels me, gives me time to get in my own head, which is good for me. And on this first leg of the sacred day, on the way down to Innisfail, I was listening to one of my favorite podcasts. It's not a Christian podcast. It's called Song Exploder, where artists deconstruct their own songs piece by piece to describe the process of how their art was made. It's like somebody asked Chris Lance, what's the perfect podcast for you? And I said, how about a podcast where artists deconstruct their songs piece by piece? It, I love it a lot. But the one episode that I was listening to was an interview with Lindsay Buckingham, who is in, anybody know what band? Fleetwood Mac. Um, and it was an interview about their song, Go Your Own Way, which you're probably familiar with. I'll sing a bar for you. No, I won't. Um, I will not do that. But it's a song that I really enjoy. But the song captures a band in turmoil. At the time of the recording, all the different band members were dating each other and breaking up with each other while still remaining in a band together. Uh, and that led to complicated dynamics, to say the least. And that song is all about that turmoil. In the midst of all that turmoil, they collaborated on this really stunningly beautiful song. At one point, because they break the track down piece by piece, the bass and the drums and the everything, and so one part, they, they isolated just the vocal harmonies away from the instruments themselves. And it was just the sound of regret and dismissal and frustration at a, at a failed relationship. You can go your own way. You can call it another lonely day. Just hearing the, the harmonies isolated by themselves for those lines, you can go your own way, you can call another lonely day. It got to me. I'm, I'm always a little bit moody and reflective when I'm doing these solo drives uh, and prone to emotionality. And I just came off a really emotional week of camp. 
And those, those vocals, those pleading vocals, they hit me like a truck. In my walk with Christ, I have, and I'm sure this is true for you as well, have, I've tended to go my own way. And it often leads to, as the song says, loneliness. I think I'm going the right way. I'm just going my way, doing whatever I want. And it doesn't lead anywhere good. It doesn't lead me anywhere closer to Jesus. And it leads to loneliness. I had been pleased with myself for setting up the meeting with Ian and Sophie. I'd been meaning to do it for months. But then it struck me. All I was really doing was simply being obedient to God's way rather than my own way. His way is a way that leads to community and compassion and consideration for others consideration for others who are hurting. In this case, two very hurting friends uh, who none of us had seen in about a year after they moved to Innisfail. So I got to Ian's place with all that going on in my heart and mind. Sophie was at work. She works at the McDonald's in town in, in Innisfail. And Ian is a very hurting, very broken man these days. He is suffering spiritually, physically, and emotionally, and he feels ready to give up in a great many ways that that term conveys. And I have his permission to share this, so I'm not speaking out of turn. He, he talks about death. He wants it to be over. He is very depressed. Uh, he's got cancer. They discovered cancer in his liver recently. His liver has been giving him problems for years. And he's just exhausted by all of it. As I mentioned, I wear failure. I'm not ashamed or afraid of failure. I, I'm ready to admit to failure. And one of our shortcomings as a church, I think, is that we're not overly evangelistic. And that's certainly not a gift or passion of mine. If it were, then I'm sure we as a body would be more evangelistic. But I'm not super evangelistic. And I see that, and I know that, and I own that. But Ian and Sophie are two friends of ours, two important members of our church body. Even though they're hours away, they're part of our church body. And they came to know Jesus because of your evangelism because you showed compassion to them, because you accepted them, that you served them, that your genuine care and compassion for them were felt by them every time they came through the doors of the church, how you hugged them, how you asked them how they were doing, how you cared about them. That meant a lot to them, means a lot to them. Ian said probably, I only visited with Ian for about half an hour, but in that half an hour, I bet you he said five times how much he misses you guys, how much he misses his church, and he wishes he could have something like what he had here down there. And that's because of you. While I was visiting Sophie, I went to her work. And it was one of the highlights of my summer. She was working behind the counter. She was doing the drive through And I kind of waited at the desk till I got her attention. And she, and she just exploded with joy to see somebody from her home church is there with her. And, and it was a really special moment. And she echoed the same things as Ian. When I hugged them, they felt the, the love of 30-some friends from Clyde who miss them and care for them and pray for them. In their dark time, as Ian battles both depression and cancer that threaten to eat him up in very different ways, your care for them is a warm light of hope. It was a meaningful thing for me to reflect on going my own way and for once being faithful to care for people who are hurting, something I don't do nearly enough and to hear their love and appreciation for you, their brothers and sisters in Christ. It really was a sacred time. In every definition of that, it was hard, and it was dark, and it was broken, but it was sacred, even in the midst of that sadness and that brokenness. It was sacred because Jesus offers hope through the light of you, his church. 
And that hope that you bring to people is a beautiful, sacred thing. And I see you doing it. Plus, from what I understand, his first tests and treatments were successful. They were able to remove a couple of the growths on his liver already. They found a few more as they were doing it. So I need to get an update, and I will keep you updated on how Ian's doing. I would encourage you, uh, he comes up to Edmonton for those treatments. I would encourage you, if you get a chance, to go to the U of A, or I guess the Cross Cancer, and, and give him a visit if you can. It would mean a lot to him. And I'll let you know if and when he's around. So that was leg one of my sacred day in Jaluli, <laughs> July. Next came the 90-minute drive from Innisfail to Drumheller, and I knew just what album I needed to listen to on that leg of the trip. It's an album called Benji, which is an acoustic rock album by the musician Mark Kozelik, who records under the name Sun Kill Moon. Not like sun killing the moon, but it's a South Korean thing. I don't know what it means. Anyway, Benji is a very confessional album, as as the artist grapples with real-life stories of people that he knows in his midst. There's a song on it about a cousin who died when an aerosol can exploded in a garbage fire. There's a song about an uncle who amazingly died in exactly the same way several years earlier. Can you imagine having two people in your family die from the same freak accident? And then to write two really great songs about both. There's a song about the school shooting of elementary children in Newtown, Connecticut. There's a song about how much he loves his mom and another song about how much he loves his dad. But the song I really wanted to hear on my way to Drum Heller was a song called Jim Wise. Jim Wise is a real-life man who lives in Ohio, and he's a real-life friend of Marco Zellick's dad. The song begins with a melancholy, melancholy, lilting sort of guitar. It sounds like when you, you know those jewelry boxes you open up with the little ballerina. It sounds kind of like that. It's lilting, but it's melancholy, and it's sad, and it, it's very fragile sounding, which is fitting because the man named in the title is a very fragile, sad man. The song begins with details. He's, he's a friend of the narrator's dad. He's under house arrest. and you, why, why is he under house arrest? Well, he'll get there. He's broken and lonely. He eats a meal from Panera Bread with his friends. He talks about his Corvette and his knee replacement. He sounds like just a regular middle-aged gentleman. It sounds, the song makes it sound like a normal visit between three male friends until the second verse hits and you finally hear why Jim Wise is under house arrest. You hear why he is lonely and sad um, and, and very broken. It's because Jim Wise, Mercy killed his wife in her hospital bed as she was dying of cancer and then he turned the gun on himself but it jammed and he didn't die. So now he lives with the guilt and the shame of the consequences of his actions, waiting for prison, waiting for judgment, waiting for death. The details of this man's life are shocking, but what's equally as shocking to me is how the artist expresses the, these details with genuine empathy. No comment is made about the rightness or wrongness of his actions. Obviously, that's not something we should encourage. Um, killing people and then committing suicide is an awful thing, even if he viewed it as an act of love. But the song makes no comment about the rightness or wrongness of his actions. You never feel like Jim Wise's actions are being either condemned or condoned. It, it's just brutal details. It's a fragile, broken man pointing to a cardinal in a birdbath, sighing and expressing, saying, my wife used to love those cardinals in that birdbath. And that's how the song ends. Needless to say, it was a powerful listening experience knowing that I was going to visit an incarcerated man 
found guilty of tremendously serious and harmful crimes. I have no idea about the details of the, the um, explicit details of my friend's criminal misbehavior. I believe that they happen, and he doesn't deny that they happened. In one sense, he's getting what he deserves in the Drumheller Penitentiary. He is experiencing justice. But justice in Scripture is never about punishment. Justice in Scripture is about restoration. It's about things being made right again, about life lining up with God's intentions. That's justice. Justice in Scripture isn't about making people suffer for what they've done. Justice in Scripture is about forgiveness and grace and redemption. Think of the justice that Jesus accomplished on the cross by making us right with God again. That's justice. Things being made right again, lining up with God's intentions. So it's about forgiveness, it's about grace and redemption, but it's also about repentance. You don't just accept these things and keep doing what you're doing. You need to change as well. It's a desire to turn from your brokenness and stop going your own way, to paraphrase paraphrase Fleetwood Mac. And none of that can happen. No redemption, no forgiveness, no repentance. None of that can happen without community. Or at least it's really hard for it to happen without community. Certainly you can find a Bible, open the Bible, read the Bible, and accept the forgiveness and the grace and and, um, the redemption that Jesus offers just by reading scripture. Because that's where forgiveness, redemption, and grace come from. It's from Jesus. But we're human beings. We're communal creatures. It's hard for us to fully experience the, the fullness of redemption solo. It's hard for us to experience forgiveness all by ourselves. It's hard for us to experience grace without other people around us to show us that grace. I know this is true for you because you're sitting in church today. We, it's because we're created for community, we experience the fullness of even God's ultimate forgiveness, ultimate grace. We experience the fullness of that when we're with other people. And so, visiting my friend in prison was a sacred act. One that I am ashamed to say I have very little experience with. I visited a friend in the remand center a long time ago, a decade ago. Um, that was through glass. I visited a teen and a youth rehabilitation center a couple years ago, but this was my first time inside a medium security prison. It was a big deal to me. Maybe you've done it frequently, and that's good for you. That is a sacred thing to do. But as with the song Jim Wise, It was an opportunity to step into a broken man's pain and offer empathy. I cannot offer forgiveness because it was not me who was harmed by the actions of my friend. So my forgiveness is is somewhat weak, but I can be an ambassador for Jesus' forgiveness. My words, weak and unimpressive though they were, and my hug, awkward and self-conscious as it was, he hadn't had a hug in months Um, And my very presence, uncomfortable though I probably came across as, they were the words and embrace and presence of Christ in that moment. Not because I am heroically obedient, but because the Holy Spirit can make use of even the most unwilling, uncomfortable, and unimpressive acts of faith. A hug is a small thing that we have to offer. But for somebody who, because of his actions hasn't had any real human intimate contact in forever, that hug is a sacred thing. 
My hour-long visit with my incarcerated friend was sacred in a similar way to my hour-long visits with Ian and Sophie. They were hurting people who need Jesus. All people need Jesus, obviously, but hurting people are hungrier for hope. Hurting people are thirstier for his forgiveness. They're more desperate for his redemption. Offering those things, even in a small way, is always a sacred act. The song Jim Wise is all about empathy. Not condonement, not condemnation, just a willingness to enter the deep pain of broken humanity. To step into that pain, to conquer brokenness with redemption, to conquer evil with compassion, to conquer sinfulness with love. To bring hope and grace to lonely, hurting people. To be agents of justice, not just punitive justice, but the therapeutic justice of being made whole again in Jesus Christ. A wholeness that begins and finds its expression in community, in you. The sacred act of watching gophers scamper around outside the Drumheller Institution visiting area while hearing how a friend's rehab treatments are going. That was a sacred moment in a sacred space. And so these first two sacred acts reminded me of Matthew 25, verses 39 to 40, which is a deeply, deeply convicting passage to me, and I'm sure it is to you as well. And it reads, Lord, when did we see you sick and in prison and go to you? When did we see you sick, like Ian and Sophie, and in prison, like my friend in Drumheller, and go to visit you? And the king will reply, Jesus will reply to us, to us, truly I tell you, whatever you did to one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. I resonate with that passage after that day, not only because I did those two things, visited and someone who was sick and visited someone in prison, but I resonate with the shock of those who respond to Jesus Jesus, when did we ever do those things for you? When did we ever visit you in prison, Jesus? You were never in prison. So I resonate with the shock of that. I, I didn't know that I was doing sacred things, just like the, the person in the parable didn't know that in visiting someone in prison, in clothing somebody who was cold, in feeding somebody who was hungry, they were doing that to Jesus himself. They didn't know. I didn't know when I signed up to visit these people that I was going to be doing something that was such a powerful kick in my butt regarding the impact of sacred acts. I'm thankful for what my friends in Innisfail and the Drumheller Penitentiary taught me, that simple things are sacred things. A hug, a prayer, a little bit of empathy, and the presence of Christ. Those are small things that are sacred things. After the prison visit, I had a half hour to kill before the Passion Place, so I went and had an ice cream under the four-story world's largest dinosaur in downtown Drumheller. That wasn't a sacred act. It was just a nice way to spend a Sunday afternoon. I would encourage you to do so. Finally, the third sacred act, the initial reason why I headed down to Drumheller in the first place, to see Dennis and Barb perform in the 2019 Passion Play. I can see how witnessing the play itself would be a profoundly meditative and sacred event for so many people, and it was to me as well. There were certainly moments that, that resonated really deeply with me in the play. It was kind of a journey through the Gospel of Luke, and so... Their portrayal of Jesus was excellent. Jesus in the, the play was a little bit mischievous, like kind of playful, but very kind, very gentle, and very powerful. And I, th I thought, that, that's exactly how I see Jesus as well, so I really like that. The repeated tellings of the Good Samaritan story from a whole bunch of different angles really resonated with me. The disciples' slow comprehension of Jesus' identity was really well done. The gratitude of the sinful woman who washes Jesus' feet with her tears while the Pharisees scorn her, that scene was powerful to me. The brutality of the crucifixion 
there in the Badlands with the cross there. They're lifting him up as he's screaming in pain. It's hard not to be moved by that. And the redemption of Peter after the resurrection. I really appreciated that too. It was all really well done and wonderfully captured the gospel according to Luke. I I thought they did a great job with it. But the play itself wasn't the sacred act for me. Don't get me wrong, I would definitely go again. I want to bring Angie and the girls one time. I think they would love it. But that wasn't what had the biggest impact on me personally. For me, the most sacred thing about watching the Passion Play was seeing two friends of mine, a brother and a sister of mine in Christ, commit themselves wholeheartedly to such a beautiful portrayal of the gospel. I loved seeing Dennis and Barb up there, especially Dennis. It was amazing. Barb is a pro. She's really good at it. And Dennis, he just looked like he was having the time of his life, which I really appreciated. They both played multiple roles throughout the play. So the scene begins and Dennis is a, he's banging on some wood, which is perfect for Dennis. That's what he does professionally. He bangs on wood. And Barb was up here. She was like picking grapes or doing laundry or something villagery. At another point, they both played black-shrouded temple priests serving only themselves. Another time, they were dumbfounded common folk who were bewildered by the miracles of Jesus, didn't know what to make of this guy. At another point, they were offended wealthy folk fleeing from the hard teachings of the penniless Messiah. They danced, yes, Dennis danced. And they sang, yes, Dennis sang. And they acted, yes, Dennis had his own lines in the script, which was awesome. And it was a joy to behold all of that. But what was really impactful to me was the scene where the entire crowd turns on Jesus and starts chanting, crucify him. Even though I was fully aware, obviously, that this was a play, that they were acting, it still was off-putting to see members of our church angrily cry out, crucify him in the face of Jesus. Even though I know they're acting, there's still something weird about seeing somebody you love, who you know loves Jesus, shouting out, crucify him. I know Dennis and Barb aren't perfect because nobody's perfect, but they are tremendous servants for Jesus in this community and beyond. I'm aware of my shortcomings as a pastor, as I mentioned, and where I struggle, Barb is especially gifted. Things like organizing, planning, outreach events. She's good at all those things. I stink at all of them. So it's great having her around. She's a natural at them. And we are better off for having both Dennis and Barb in our midst, right? Obviously. We as a church community are better off for having each one of you as a member of it. As collectively, we are all members of the body of Christ with strengths and weaknesses that bring him glory. Which is why seeing Dennis and Barb screaming crucify him was so impactful to me. Dennis and Barb don't live lives that scream crucify Jesus. They live lives that that exemplify sacrifice and giving and hard work. They live lives that scream glorify Jesus, not crucify Jesus. And yet there they were demanding his blood. In our own ways, we are all there shouting, crucify him to Jesus. We are all guilty. Our many weaknesses and failings, my many weaknesses and failings, not just as a pastor, but as a human being, are just more nails that pin him to the cross, adding to your nails and everyone's nails that pin him to the cross. But this is no play, this life we're living. This is not acting. We are all, like Dennis and Barb and their fellow castmates, guilty of crucifying their king. But that crucifixion leads somewhere sacred. It led Jesus to go his father's way, not his own way, even though he could have chosen to go his own way. The crucifixion led to a way of loneliness and injustice. Loneliness, just like our friends in Innisfail are feeling. Injustice, just like my friend in Drumheller is feeling. 
The crucifixion leads to that compounded exponentially for Christ. But out of that brutal death came the most sacred victories of all, grace over condemnation, redemption over suffering, and life over death. Sure, we're all guilty of shouting crucify him. We're all guilty of his blood. We're all guilty of his cross. We all nailed him up there, but Jesus didn't stay up on that cross. He came down in death, but he was raised up in power, and he shares that power with us. He enables us to perform great sacred acts of redemption and justice and healing, great acts that are great even when they're small. They're great because he is in them, making them great. Despite our weakness, and often because of our weaknesses, what does Paul say? In my weakness, he is strong. I think he says that. In my, despite our weakness, and not just despite, it's not like God says, okay, fine, in, I guess I'll use you despite your brokenness. He uses our brokenness to bring him glory. It's because we're broken that he is strong. Despite my many failings and my faults as a leader among you excellent servants of Christ, he is still at work in me as he's in work in all of you, even me, even you. That one Sunday in July was sacred for exactly that reason. Despite my discomfort, despite my disobedience, despite my doubts, I got to be the hands and feet and voice and presence of Jesus to hurting people. One cracked vessel shining light into other cracked vessels. Despite my desire to go my own way and suffer the lonely consequences, I gave my head a shake and went his way instead, at least for one day, one sacred day. And the result was the opposite of loneliness. It was hope and redemption and grace for those in need of them. And those in need of them includes me. And it was on your behalf, with all of you inspiring and challenging and modeling that kind of willingness to me. So that's the power of the resurrection. Though our brokenness demanded his death, his living power still works to make us whole again. And as he makes us whole again, that powerful wholeness rubs off on others around us. I am a wounded healer. There's a book by Henry Nouwen called Wounded Healer. It's fantastic. It's short. would recommend it strongly. But just that title is so captivating to me. I am a wounded healer. And each of us is a wounded healer. And so we heal hurting people by reflecting the hope that he fills us up with. We free imprisoned people by reflecting the grace that he fills us with. We redeem wayward people by reflecting the love that he fills us with. Though we are hurting and imprisoned and wayward ourselves at times, he can still use us for sacred acts. Trust me, I experienced it firsthand one sacred day in July. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you that though we are cracked and broken and incomplete, though we fall very short of your standards, thank you that you love us, accept us, and empower us to do your sacred acts, to spread your hope, to spread your redemption, your forgiveness, your grace, that in our brokenness you are are glorified. In our weakness, you are strong. But thank you that because of your crucifixion, because we crucified you, that we have hope, that we have life, that we can offer even our broken selves to you, and you will use that to bring redemption to the world around us. Help us to be mindful of the ways that you call us to serve and love the people around us, Jesus. Thank you for each of these people here who love and serve you so well. Thank you for 
their examples to me and our examples to each other. We praise you for all of this, Jesus. We know that all of this is because of you. And we pray these things in your name. Amen. Though we are hurting and imprisoned and wayward ourselves, he can still use us for sacred acts. One sacred day in Jaluli. Um, I'm sorry, I have to fix that. <laughs>